So 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to be beginning in verse number 9, and we're actually coming back into this concept of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow God Almighty. And here we see an important passage that deals with Solomon. Solomon was uh, David's son. David was the man after God's own heart. Solomon is the son. And Solomon had been given what no one else was given, unlimited wisdom. He was given what no one else was given. He just, he got opened up and God poured out just bags and bags and bags of wisdom to the point that there's none been wiser than Solomon. And what we're going to see in this passage is that it doesn't matter how wise you are. And what I'm going to tell you tonight is it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how anointed you are. It doesn't matter how much Greek or Hebrew knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how much systematic theology you have. If we have a disobedient heart, it will nullify all the above. And Solomon was the case in point for this study. Solomon had been given all the wisdom possible for one mortal person. He, would be, he had just been given all of it. None would be wiser than Solomon, and Solomon failed. That goes to show you that no amount of gifting, no amount of wisdom, no amount of learning, no amount of anointing, no amount of gifting, none of that can equal a heart to obey Jesus. And what I want you to see in this message is that God's drawing us into a place where we, were, we will follow him wherever he leads. It may not look familiar, it may not sound familiar, but when we hear the voice of the shepherd, God's calling us to this place where our hearts long to be wherever our Lord leads us, where we will be that army that follows him into battle, or we'll follow him to the mountaintop to separate ourselves from the world, or we'll follow him to to go be a good neighbor and to love on someone and share the gospel with them. But whatever the call is, we will be willing to, to, to go where he leads. Learning this concept of following the Lord is, ta is taking the church to another place of spiritual maturity. This is whenever we leave the popcorn theology and we leave the, you know, we leave the elementary things and we come into a place of maturity. And I love the fact that Jesus chose fishermen. Amen. Don't you love that fact? He didn't, he didn't go and choose, you know, the, the high people of society, but Jesus went to the fishermen and fishermen were notorious for being unlearned, notorious for being unlearned. And yet these fishermen, after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, preached on Pentecost and thousands were saved. And that's what God can do with a surrendered vessel. That's what God can do with you. That's what God can do with you because it's not about gifting. It's not about, you know, how much smarts you have. It's not about any of that. It's about if you give God all your heart. If you'll give God all your heart, he'll pour out to you that Holy Spirit and he will use you to do great and mighty things through you that you would be a light that he can use in this world. Amen. So let's get into this Solomon. And we touched on this this morning, but we're going to go one step further. In verse number nine. It says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Now you would say, oh, if I could just get one of those dreams that Solomon had, if I had, you know, I, I think I might've met God. I think I might've heard from him, but Solomon had that beautiful time where God just was right there in his presence. 
And Solomon had that encounter that people today would make money and movies and soundtracks off of. People today would be writing books about this stuff. They would be trying to sell and profit off of their experience with God. That's the way our culture is. That's the way the church is today. But Solomon had this deep encounter with God. And yet, even though he had that, that goes to show you. That goes to show you that you can have a mountaintop experience. But that mountaintop experience has to be paired with a heart surrendered to God. Solomon had this mountaintop experience. Not only did he have a mountaintop experience, but he received that which no one else received, that wisdom, that supernatural gifting from God, and yet his heart turned away from God. How did he do that? He fell into sin. His heart began to long after other women, strange women, and and one thing leads to another. That's why it says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Once, once they began to get involved with strange women, these strange women then led him to other gods. Amen. And here's a man that had been given a gift that everybody would love to have. He had such wisdom that people would come and just listen to him. And what happened was his heart was turned through little sin. And then it became big. And then God got angry with him. God got angry with him. So God got angry with Solomon in verse 10 it says, and and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Verse 11, wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee. And will give it to thy servant. See, here, here is the judgment. This is the time when God brings it down on Solomon. And he says, you know what? I gave you. I appeared to you twice. I gave you wisdom. And I told you, don't disobey me. Don't, don't go after other gods. Don't disregard my commandments, my statutes. And that's exactly what Solomon did. Even though he had all this wisdom, he didn't have a heart for God. Even though he had all this wisdom, he didn't have a heart for God. And you know, one of the things that the church needs today is to get a heart for God. One of the things that the church world needs today, we, today is all about making money, making buildings, making denominations, and making preachers famous. It, it, and yet God's desire is that we would seek him, that we would love him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor likewise. And the one thing that the church doesn't want to do is exactly that. Amen. Amen. We, we, we want the world to love us. But God said that you've got to love him. Amen. And that's one of the things that you'll see in this message is that, that there's a, a dichotomy that we have to come into and understand. You know, giving God a, a, a substitute offering doesn't work. You know, Cain did that. Cain, Cain did that. Whenever God commanded a sacrifice to be given in the Garden of Eden, he prescribed how to do it. He said, this is how you worship me. This is how you come to me. And, and Abel did it right, and Cain did it wrong. But what most people forget is that Cain brought an offering to God. Most people think that Cain is some you know, weird you know, guy with red eyes and you know, just very mean guy. But Cain, he came to God... And he came and he brought an offering to God. He came to worship God. He just wanted to do it on his terms. In other words, he did the American thing. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. I'm the one that runs this thing. This is Burger King. I'm going to do it my way. 
I'm going to make this thing however I want to make it. You're not going to tell me, tell me how to live or what to do. I'll worship you, but I'll worship you how I want. You're not going to tell me what's right. You're not going to tell me, you know, what's wrong. And that's the, that is the exact thing that the church world does today. That's the place where the church finds itself is everybody's making their own thing up. Everybody's serving their own selves. Everybody's promoting their own selves. And yet God's looking for a people. God's looking for a people that will turn away from their self and they will turn away from their own agendas and they'll turn away from me-itis. It's all about me. They'll turn away from blessing-itis. That's one of the things the church has got into is blessing-itis. It's all about how to get more blessing. How, to, how can I get the boat? How can I get the three cars? How can I get that white picket fence? You know, one of the things that grieved my heart one time, we were at a church and, and we were, you know, at the front praying with people and, and nobody prayed for souls. Nobody came up to pray for their lost loved one. Nobody came up to pray for revival. Nobody came up to pray for a move of God. Every single person that came up for prayer was praying for a new car, a new boat, a new job, a new house, new clothes. It was all about temporary things that the devil leads the church astray in. It was all so superficial. It grieved so much my heart. And, and one of the things that we see in the church world today is we see that God is looking for the church to let go of the selfishness and to let go of the me-itis and let go of the blessing-itis and be willing to be his vessels. Be willing to follow him where he leads. Be willing to say, you know what? It is not about, you know, having notoriety or having all this gifting and having all of that gifting, but it's about having God. Having God. I promise you, he's more than enough. Amen. He's more than enough. One of the things that just strikes me so uh, hardly is you see Abraham's life. Abraham leaved, he left Ur. He, he was leaving Ur and he didn't know where he was going, but he knew who was leading him. And you may not know where you're going, but if you know who's leading you, it's going to be all right. If God is the one who's authoring your steps and God is the one directing you in the night, it's going to be all right. And Abraham found that out. He was willing to leave his home. He left his job. He left the comfort of society. He left everything behind because God said, come out. Come out from her. And that's one thing we've got to do. We've got to get the church to the point where they're willing to leave her, where they're willing to leave me-itis and blessing-itis and willing to leave the comforts of society so that we can go and be God's people. This world's not our home. We're supposed to be pilgrims passing through, but we're not supposed to just be isolated. We're supposed to be out there rescuing the perishing. Amen as Brother William Booth said. Amen. So listen to this. Let's go and look at Abraham real quick. Um, turn with me to, let's go over to Genesis chapter 22. And I want to look at a passage of scripture that Abraham had this interaction with the Lord God. Now this is, if you're familiar with the passage, this is one of the greater tests that Abraham faced. Abraham got the blessing. The, one of the things that God told him whenever he left Ur was that he's going to have his own child. He's going to have his own child with his wife, Sarah. And it was one of those things that was so remarkable. They didn't exactly believe it at the beginning. She even laughed. And this, this blessing took years to come. How many of you know sometimes you feel like God's forgotten that thing? 
Sometimes you, you see that promise in scripture and sometimes you feel like that's not for me because it hadn't happened yet. Look at Abraham, right? They had to wait a long time, but God is faithful. God's always on time. He's never a day late. He's never early. God's on his own time and he's always on time. Amen. So he's not on our, he's not going to be dictated by our time. That's one of the, you know, one, one, one preacher. I will tell God what to do, when to do it. No, you're not. God, God's not our servant. Amen. And, and so one of the things that we see here, though, is that Abraham had been given this blessing, this Isaac. This is the son. And God, called, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Take him up there and sacrifice him. Man, that's not fun. Because I've been praying for this thing my whole life. And now that I got this thing... God's called me to lay this thing down. What's the test? Well, we can see from Scripture, Abraham was involved in it. How many of you know sometimes when you're involved in it, you're just immersed in it, you can't really see clearly. It's hard to see when you're surrounded by it, and it takes somebody outside the situation to look at that in a different perspective. Amen? That's why it's good to have godly friends that aren't so involved in your situation. They can kind of take a step aside and kind of give you a different point of view and say, you know what? I know you're so focused on this person saying this, but you're just being a little bit, you know, too fleshly. Don't let that bother you, right? It takes that. You need those kind of godly friends. And, and Abraham, though, he's here. What's the test? Well, we can look at it in Scripture, and we can see what the test is. God wants to know if Abraham loves God more than Isaac. God wants to know if Abraham loves God wants to know if Abraham loves God more than the blessing that he gave. And that's that whole thing where we see the church today. Everything's about what can God give me? What can I get from God? Give me, give me, give me. What prayer do I need to pray to get that thing? What prayer do I need to pray to get that thing? What do I got to do? How long do I got to love you in order to get what I want? That's where we see the superficial church at. How much do I got to do to get what I really want? And what God's looking for in every generation, it's not just ours, but in every generation, what God's looking for is he's looking for that pilgrim. He's looking for that one that's not satisfied with the things of earth. He's looking for that one that won't be satisfied with clothes or cars or relationships. He's looking for that one that is satisfied for nothing more and nothing less than him. He's looking for that one that loves him more than anything else. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the greatest commandment according to God in the flesh. And we see here, Abraham has been given this test. And we can look at it from our perspective, but what about if you were involved in that? What if there was something you've been praying about for 20 years and you felt that the Lord was going to do it and God finally did it? And then after you had that blessing for a year or two or three, God says, you know that blessing? Are you willing to walk away from it for me? Are you willing to let it go? There's a song that says, uh, I'm going to lay my Isaac down. Are you, would you be that person? Would you love God so much that you would be willing to let go of the blessing so that you can hold on to the blessor? Amen. What is greater? 
What is greater, the blessing or the blesser? I would rather have him. Amen. I would rather have him. And any parent can tell you that. Any parent can tell you when they give their child a gift or a toy or a ball or they give their child, you know, they don't want that child to get to the point where they expect what comes out of the hand. And they don't care about you or what you say, only what you can give them. And any parent knows when they see those signs and they say, man, my kid's starting to get spoiled. I need to back off on this. What do you think God does? God can tell when we get spoiled. God can tell when we, when we begin to love the things that he has in his hand more than him. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we see the drought in the church today. Amen. There's a drought, one of the prophets said, the drought being the word of God. People will be longing for a move of God. They'll be longing for God. But there's a drought because people don't preach the word of God. They preach their interpretation of the word of God, but they don't just preach the word of God. They don't preach the truth, the full counsel of God. And you see, without this heart to obey God, we cut it up. We preach what we want. We serve it how we want. But you see, this is one of those things where the, the heart is laid bare before God. Do you know that the Holy Spirit sees our hearts? The Holy Spirit is the one that, that, that reads the heart, the intentions of the heart. And God knew. But look, God put this test before Abraham and Abraham passed the test. Abraham was willing to go up there and he was willing to lay down Isaac because he trusted. Because God said through Isaac, his seed was going to go forward. He trusted no matter what happened, God's going to do something. Yes, he believed God. God counted it to him for righteousness. But watch this. I want, you, I want to point out something to you because what, what, what caused Abraham, and how many of you know that Abraham is the, is the father of the faith, right? He's the father of faith. He's in the Hall of Fame of Faith for a reason. Abraham is there because Abraham believed God. But what I want you to see is it wasn't because Abraham was gifted or anointed. It wasn't because Abraham knew, knew Hebrew and systematic theology and he had this, this peculiar anointing that every time he walked by somebody, everybody fell down. Abraham wasn't like that. But there was something about Abraham that, that God saw and it played out in Abraham's life. And because of this one thing, because of this one thing, God used Abraham to create a nation. This is how God created the nation of Israel. All through Abraham. Watch this. It says in verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And I want to contrast this. I want to contrast this with Solomon. I started there for a reason. I'm going to contrast this with Solomon. Because Solomon had been given something nobody else had been given, and God took away the kingdom. God took away even though Solomon had all the wisdom. Well, I know that, I know this, I know that. You know, there's some people, sometimes, you know, you get involved with some people and they say, all right, pastor, what's, give me a nugget. Tell me something I never heard before. What's that nugget from God? Give me something new I've never heard before. I want to know that one thing. I want to know that one thing. Something new. The church today is, is built off of nuggets. That's why it's not built on the foundation. Amen. It's not built on the rock. We're built on the same thing that the Greek philosophers were built on. Just something new. Yeah. 
doesn't matter what it is, just something new. That's why we got people rebuking squid spirits in churches. Weird stuff going on because they're not founded on the truth of God's word. Well, Solomon was that one. He had all the wisdom. He had all the understanding. He had all that, but he didn't have a heart. And and, And God took away what he had given. Now let's contrast that with this. It says, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, by myself I have sworn, said the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thine son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Listen to this. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because... Thou hast obeyed my voice. Why did God use Abraham? Because Abraham was obedient to the voice of God. Abraham was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. He was willing to surrender whatever God said surrender. He was willing to walk wherever God said walk. He was willing to leave whatever God said to leave. And he was willing to sacrifice anything God said sacrifice. He was willing to obey God no matter how much it cost him. He was willing to obey God. And that's what moved the heart of God. Abraham is the giant of the faith, the father of the faith. He's that one that we see in the hall of fame of faith because it was counted to him for righteousness. We see that in Romans chapter four. Why all these things about Abraham? Why was he that man of faith? Because he heard God, he believed God, and he obeyed God. And if you'll do the same thing, if you'll follow Abraham, if you'll follow Abraham and just be obedient to the Lord God Almighty, God will use you. God is looking for people to follow after him. Amen? I love A.W. Tozer. He said this about obedience. He said that true obedience is a refusal to compromise no matter the cost. That's true obedience. It's easy to obey when it don't cost you nothing. Amen? It's easy to obey when it don't cost you nothing. But it's hard to obey. And he said true obedience is when you, you, you refuse to compromise no matter what it costs. And you know, that's where we see the rubber, like I said earlier, the rubber meets the road, is when that test comes, when that test comes, and if you're willing to lower the standards, if you're willing to lower the standards, how about this one? I'll just give you just a quick example. God says, thou shalt not steal. Okay, that's easy when you got all the money in the bank. You don't need anything that anybody has. Can I get a witness? But what about when you're struggling? And your boss has everything. And you don't have nothing. And your boss has a restaurant. And he's got steaks. And he's got chicken fingers. And he's got pizza. And he's got all that. And you got an empty icebox. And he's only paying you $2 an hour. And all you can do is keep the lights on. And you're hungry. And you just reach in and your boss sitting there. He's on vacation for the 18th time this year. He's in the Bahamas. You just grab a pizza. Take it home with you. He's never going to know. He's got more than enough. He don't even care. But God cares. God said thou shalt not steal. Right? 
And so that's where obedience really gets real is when it costs you something. See, it's easy. Like if, if you've got thousands of dollars in the bank and your boss leaves pencils around, I don't need a pencil. What am I going to do with that? I don't need that. But it's when you get into that situation where it's going to cost you, where there's a real test. And that's when the reality comes. Are you willing to lower the standard of God and say, oh, he'll never know. Oh, he, he don't care. I mean, he's got so much money, he don't care if I take a pizza. Well, it's not yours. And it's stealing if you take it without asking. Amen? That's what the definition of stealing. And as Ray Comfort says, how many times you got to steal something to be a thief? You know, one time. How many lies you got to tell to be a liar? One. How many people you got to kill to be a murderer? One. I mean, that's the way God looks at it. God looks at his law as like a, as a, as a glass window. And you can break it with a pebble or you can break it with a cinder block, but either way, it's broken. That's the way God sees it. And, and that's the reality of the matter. And if when we begin to lower that standard and make excuses for those things, we begin to lose what God has for us. You see, Abraham was willing to obey God. And I, what I'm pointing out to you tonight is we're diving deeper down onto this thing about following God. And, and what God's looking for is a people like Abraham. He's looking like for a people like Abraham. And if you're one of those people, you're, you're exactly who God's looking for. That person that is willing to sacrifice whatever God puts his hand on. God may tell you to, to you know, let go of this or God may tell you to let go of that. God may tell you to let go of your pride or your vanity. You know, I was, I was uh, telling, I was talking with, brother Derek about this on Friday night. I, you know, whenever I was in college, um, the, I was not a public speaker. I, you know, some of y'all know this, some of y'all don't, but I not only failed public speaking and in college, they asked me to drop out. They said, this is not for you. You're not good at this. It's embarrassing. You need to go and, you know, there's still time you can change the class and get your money back or, you know, get a different elective. Not good at all. But I was so nervous about what people thought about me. It was a pride thing. I was just fumbling over my words because I was just so nervous about it. And that's one of the things that after God saved you, you, you come to that place where you just let go of who you are. You have to, you have to surrender that, that pride. You have to surrender that vanity and let go and then let God use you. Amen? And that, God's looking for people that are willing to let go of whatever it is that God puts his hand on. God may put his hand on something else in your life, but he's looking for you to love him more than the thing. And that's what stirred the heart of God about Abraham. Abraham was willing to let go of Isaac so that he could hold the hand of God. Think about that. He was willing to let go of his Isaac. That's his son, his, his only son, as God put it. He was willing to let Isaac go so that he could hold God's hand. What are, what, where's your limit? Do you have one? What are you willing to not let go of? Where's that thing? And I would submit to you that that thing is what God's after. Because God's looking for a people like Abraham. He's looking for a people like Abraham. Well, you know, Paul, Paul ended up modeling this. Let me go, let me take you one other place before we get over to Paul. Let's go over to Psalm 38. I want to touch on one other aspect of this, and then we're going to go touch on Paul. So Psalm 38, and then we're going to go look at a passage from Paul. So this part about following the Lord, 
It's what God's looking for in our lives. Someone that's willing to follow the Lord and refuse to compromise, regardless of the cost, regardless of the cost. You know that whenever you follow the Lord, you'll have opposition. Think about Job, right? Job was a righteous man. He was perfect, the Bible says. And Job never cursed God. Job had all the blessings that God gave him taken away. And he had his wife. And his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Right? Isn't that the way that the devil works too? When you're at your lowest moment, you get that one person that speaks that one word that just inflicts that wound. Man, you're not right with God. Just curse God and die. But Job faced opposition and he stayed righteous. No matter the cost. He refused to allow the enemy to penetrate his heart. He had his heart set on God. He refused to compromise. He refused to lower the standard. He refused to walk away from God. He set his heart on God and he never wavered on that thing. And that's who God's looking for. He's looking for, he's looking for girls and guys in this generation to be that kind of a child of God. Because I'm telling you, that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take to see this nation turn back to God, to see the church turn back to God, to see our cities turn back to God. It's going to take people that fear nothing but God. It's going to take a people that are filled with the fire of God and people that will follow God. It's going to take those things to see this turn around. And make no mistake, God said that judgment starts with the house of God. God's going to begin to correct the issue in the church before he corrects the issue in society. God, look, God is not going to to, uh, start out there. He's going to start in here. He's going to start in here. He's going to start with me. He's going to start with you. He's going to start with us. And then he's going to light these churches on fire. He's going to bring in the people. And then he's going to do a work. But it starts... It starts with us. Look at this in Psalm 38, verse 20. Look at this verse. He says, They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. That shows you right there that David, as he writes this psalm, is telling you that there are people that render evil for good. In other words, there's people that are out to destroy you. There's people that are out to trip you up. There are people that the enemy uses, and they love to bring opposition to you. They love to bring opposition to you. And what he says is, because why? Because you follow the thing that is good. The thing that good is. Because you're a follower of God, expect opposition. Because you're a follower of God. Look, if you're not facing opposition, it may be because you're going downstream with society. If if society is not pushing back on you, it may be because you're going the same direction. But whenever you begin to turn and you begin to go after God and you begin to follow whatever is good, expect the evil people to speak evil of you. That's what they do. That's their job. They're only doing what they do. But we're supposed to do what we do. 
We're supposed to set our face like Jesus. He set his face like Flint, facing Jerusalem, facing that cross. He wasn't going to let Peter or anything else stop him from doing what he was going to do. And we've got to be that same kind of person. We've got to set our face upon the Lord God Almighty and not be moved. Not be moved by men or their opinions or any opposition, but go after God and go after him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and follow him to our last day and when you follow him expect the pushback expect the pushback that's okay they're only doing what they do one of the problems that we see in the church world is the way that people present salvation is hey your life is okay but what will make your life better is just saying yes to this prayer it's a false representation of new life Actually, being saved is letting go of who you are. It is surrendering all of you and receiving all of God and Him making you a new person, being born again, being born again. And that's what God's looking for today. And, and one of the things that we see, though, is that when people are presented a false representation of what it means to be saved, and then they go out and they face opposition, they say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to get mud thrown at me. I didn't sign up to have people mock me and ridicule me. I didn't sign up to have the devil test me and try me. I don't want any of that. I was just fine. In fact, I never had any problems when I was going the other way. Well, yeah, you never had any problems because you was going downstream with the world. If you're on your way to hell, the devil's not going to, you know, try to stop you. He's just going to, he's going to let that boat just keep on going. It's when you turn around and you begin to go after God, you're going to face the tests, the trials, the pushback. You're going to face the ridicule. You're going to face all of those things. That tells you you're headed in the right direction. You might say, oh, I just, why I got all these problems? Because you're going after God. Hallelujah. Celebrate it. Amen. Glorify God in it. Oh, everything's going wrong. Well, hallelujah, brother. You're on the right track. That means you're going after God. That means you're going the right direction. Look at all the saints of God. Which one of the saints of God had it on easy street? Which one? Not a one. Not a one. Every single one of the men in the hall of fame of faith, every single one of the women that expressed faith, every single one had the issues. Amen. Amen. And yet we in, in our highfalutin society of Blessingville, we, we you know, if, if we, you know, have to, you know, pray about something more than once or we get tested, you know, on that one thing. Oh, man, I must not be doing it right. When you do it right, that's when you face opposition. That's when you you come into that place. But you know what's awesome is that God is greater. Amen. The Lord Jesus, he said, when he rose from the dead in Matthew 28, he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And God gives you that power through the Holy Spirit to walk in victory all the days of your life. It is not about how hard the enemy's coming against you, but it is about who God is in you. He's, that's why he said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It doesn't matter how much the enemy pushes you back. It matters how big your God is. As David said, lead me to the rock higher than I. Lead me to the rock higher than I. That's the part the church has to get to that place where we say, you know what? It's not about what the world can do to me, but it's about how big my God is. Being like David when he faced Goliath, right? 
hey, God is bigger. God is bigger. And we've got to get back to that place where we trust God when we're looking at Goliath or we're looking at these situations. And, and no, hey, that's the way that it's supposed to be. Amen. All right, let's look at Paul real quick over there in the book of Philippians chapter 3. I want to touch on a place that Paul gets to right here. God's looking for the church to come to a place where we have a heart to obey. It's easy to give God the leftovers. Amen? It's easy to give God the leftovers. It's easy to give God, you know, that's one of the things, uh, one of the passages I love that, you remember the, the widow with the two mites? And Jesus was watching this procession of people bring all their money into the, into the box. And I mean, they were bringing in some money. And there's this one little old widow. And all she had was two mites. That's all she had. And Jesus said she gave more than all them. Because she gave out of her lack. They gave out of their abundance. They gave out of the overflow. She gave out of hurt. You see, it's easy to give God leftovers. If I, if I, you know, if I eat pizza and I got a couple pieces left over, it's easy to give somebody a piece of pizza. Because I got all I want, you can have what's left over. But it's a different thing when I don't have anything and I go buy one steak and I give it to someone while I go hungry. That's sacrifice. That's a different, that's a totally different ballgame. Both people gave food, but one gave it more sacrificially than the other. And you see, that's what God's looking for in us. He's looking, he's looking for in us to, to come to him, not with leftovers, but with the heart to give God our everything. A heart to give God whatever he puts his hand on. Are you with me? Well, this is the start of revival. I want to share this with you. Charles Finney said this. How many of y'all know who Charles Finney was? Amen. He was the great revivalist in America. One of the greatest Americans that ever lived. He was a, a, a lawyer and he was an evangelist and he led revivals everywhere. Um, back in the day, this is what he said about revival. You can encapsulate it in one sentence. Revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. Revival is nothing more, nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. What does that mean? Saying, you know what, Lord? I, I think I've, I've, I know, Lord, I know I failed today. I know I failed yesterday. Starting right now, Lord, I'm giving you my whole heart. That's a new beginning of obedience to God. Lord, I, bl I blew it this morning, Lord. I blew it this morning. I, I missed it. I was going to do this, but I did that. Starting right now, Lord, I'm setting my heart on you. That's a new beginning to fresh obedience to God. And Charles Finney, who was the greatest revivalist America has seen, he said, that's true revival. It's when me and you get to that place where we come to a new beginning every day. Every day we come to that place where we say, Lord, this is your day. This is about you living in me. The hope of glory is Christ in us. The hope of glory is when the church gets full of the spirit of God. And that's where we see the church take on a, a, a new life. And he said, that's true revival when you come to that place. Well, Paul encapsulates it right here. I'm going to read this passage. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. 
And we'll start with verse number 12. Philippians 3, verse number 12. There's a couple of things I want to point out right here. Paul says this in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. There's your key word, follow. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, church, that this is what God's looking for. You see, Paul comes into this thing where he's not there yet. He's not there yet, and he's not done yet. That's how I would characterize that first verse in verse 12. He's not there yet, and, and he's not done yet. You know, that's the key to revival. I'm not there. I'm not there. Look, when I get to heaven, I'll be there. Until then, there's still more that God can do in me. There's still more of the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit that I need. There's still more filling of the Holy Spirit that I need. There's still more obedience that I must give God. I'm not there yet. And, I, I'm, and Paul said that. He said, I'm not there. It was two things, not there and not done. I'm not there yet. I'm not attained. And I'm, I'm not quitting. I'm not done. There's still more. God deserves all of me. Every moment of my life, every moment I'm awake, every time, every time God wakes me up, every breath he gives me, I'm not done giving him even more of who I am. I'm not done. I'm not there and I'm not done. But I follow. But I follow. That's, that encapsulates what Charles, Finney, what Charles Finney was saying. I'm not there. I'm not done. But I'm following. I'm, I'm starting fresh right now. Every day, every moment, I'm starting fresh. I'm going after God with a renewed passion, a renewed desire to follow him and obey him and love him and give him a sacrifice of who I am today. I will follow him. And I love what he says in verse 13. He said, he forgets the things behind and he reaches forth. It's not about, look, yesterday is over. You, you can only live on yesterday's sacrifice for so long. We learned that a few weeks ago. Scripturally, God would only let you live off that sacrifice for two days. On the third day, it was a demomination to God. You can only live off of what you did last week for two days. Now it's time to give God something new. And, that, it, and that's just a picture of it, but what God's looking for is a continual heart to follow and obey God. A continual heart rendered to God. A continual heart reckoned self to be dead in Christ and raised new. A continual desire to please God in all that you do. That's where revival starts. That's where revival starts. You'll face opposition from the enemy. That's what he does, but that's where revival starts, and that's what Paul was saying. He said, I'm not there, I'm not done. But I'm following. Amen. And if you come to God with that kind of heart and you forget the things that are behind, how many of you got things behind you? Amen. Don't let the things behind you define you. Let them go. 
Don't let the things behind you be like that rudder that directs where you go and how you treat people. Let the things behind you go and be made new today. Follow after him. Reach forth to who God's making you today. And if you'll do that, you'll be like God was looking for. God was looking for Abraham to have a heart to obey. God was looking in David. Look, David failed God a lot. Amen. God, God told you, he failed a lot. He cost people lives. And yet he had a heart for God because every time God came to him and rebuked him, he said, you're right, God. You're right. He never got defiant and said, well, how dare you ask me to do that? Don't you know who I am? Every time he was rebuked, every time conviction came, he said, you're right, Lord. And he humbled himself. And he confessed. And he penned those words, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew, renew my heart. Restore, restore, restore a right spirit within me. David penned those words because every time God came and brought conviction, he said yes to God. And that's what God's looking for in us. Amen? All right, hallelujah. We're going to stop right here tonight, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And, you know, as we go deeper in this, in this idea of what it means to follow God, I think it's so beautiful to see how God uses average folks. He used fishermen. He used Abraham. He used average folks. But what God's looking for is that pilgrim that's willing to follow God whatever the cost. And if you're willing to follow God whatever the cost, God will meet you here. God will meet you in that place of faith. God will meet you. Amen.